You're now listening to episode 91 of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here, we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Brandon Hall and Thomas Costello here today with John Wilhoyt, a real estate professional specializing in residential asset management and property management. Throughout his career, John has focused on high-volume, large multifamily communities, including market rate and fixed finance developments. He has also authored two books on real estate analysis, How to Read a Rent Roll and The Rent Roll Triangle. In today's episode, we discuss how to read a rent roll, including what a rent roll is and why it's so important when analyzing an investment property, and the various aspects you need to consider when determining the strength of a rent roll, and thus the income of the property. But that's not the end of the story. In next week's episode, John will join us again to complete the Real Estate CPA podcast's first ever two-part series to discuss his second book, The Rent Roll Triangle, which is a calculation that helps compartmentalize the strengths and weaknesses in rental revenue and identify areas of concern before you ever buy an investment property. With 2019 in the rear view, it's never been a better time to focus on tax planning for the year ahead. One of the biggest benefits of being a real estate investor are the tax benefits. And as the saying goes, If you're paying tax on your real estate, then you're doing something wrong. Stop paying more taxes necessary and head over to www.therealestatecpa.com slash become-client, complete the short web form to schedule an initial consultation, and learn more about how we can help you minimize your tax bills today. John, thanks so much for joining us today. Before we dive right into how to read a rent roll, would you be able to give our listeners a little bit of information on your background and your real estate experience? Sure. Hello. Um, My name is John Wilhoyt. multifamily asset management professional. This is what I've done for my entire career, uh, focused on large projects predominantly, uh, market rate and affordable. Most of what I do is specific to developers and those that are developing new multifamily products. And that's been the the focal point of of my endeavors. Got it. Got it. So for for our listeners here today, we're going to be going through John's book, How to Read a Rent Roll. I had read that book a few months ago and had been really insightful And John had really painted a very clear picture of what a rent roll is and how to analyze it properly and the meaning behind a lot of the things, which led into a calculation, which we'll go over on next week's episode, uh, the rent roll triangle. But starting with the basics, uh, John, would you be able to describe for us what a rent roll is and why it's so important? It really is the cornerstone of financial analysis for a multifamily property. Everything leads back to the rent roll, right? When we're talking about the documentation with respect to multifamily property analysis, you really have to know what the contractual income is. And that contractual income is presented in the form of what we call a rent roll. So um, there's two primary softwares that large multifamily companies use and and smaller owners too. It's RealPage and Yardi. So not to say that there's not other good high quality software out there, but those two are the primary source of underlying information that owners utilize to run their assets. So when you're looking at a rent roll, you want to ask for a printout directly from the software. And I say it that way because as much as they can be manipulated, rent rolls can be manipulated. Most people are honest brokers, right? Most people are. So if you're asking for a straight up printed rent roll, 
then you'll likely get that. And you're looking for names on there, unit numbers, and also a date of the rent roll. So you want to not only know what month the rent roll is for, which of course seems pretty straightforward and pragmatic, but you also want to know when the rent roll was printed. And those two should be fairly correlated. What I mean by that is no matter when the rent roll is printed, the date and the month presented should be correct. That makes sense. Yeah, so the rent roll is pretty much just a, a document that shows the schedule of rents due from all the tenants that are contractually signed to the property. Yeah, and, and more importantly than that, it's the owner's representation of income. So we want to know what the income is, but we want to know what the income is from the owner's perspective, right? Because if you're looking at a deal, whether it's picture perfect or run down, you're looking at that deal through the lens of the rent roll. So let's say it's a 14-unit deal and it has a significant amount of deferred maintenance and rents are $1,000 a month. And you look at that property and say, you know what, if everything were the way it should be, everything else in this neighborhood is renting for $1,400 a month. So then you can automatically see the disparity in terms of what rents could be versus what they are. And again, you're looking at that through the lens of the rent roll, but you're not discounting what the actual property looks like. Got it. Got it. So would you be able to take us uh, through a walkthrough of the steps you take when determining uh, the strength of a rent roll? Um, the, the rent roll really is a representation of the contractual basis for buying an existing business. That's what we're doing, right? When we buy a multifamily property, we're buying an existing business. And the example I use probably too often is it's like a Subway sandwich shop. Part of it is where the property is, right? Where the sandwich shop is and how much foot traffic it gets. But it's also how you run that business on the inside. So some do better than others, sometimes just because of location. But more often than not, management can really have a significant impact on the business. So when we're looking at rent roll analysis, we want to know the contractual basis for buying that business. And the contractual basis comes from or starts with the rent roll and the leases that are represented by the rent roll that you're looking at. Got it. Got it. So it starts with the leases. Uh, what role does the market play when analyzing the rent roll? Well, if the market's just one component of a property, the same as the rent roll is just one component of your financial analysis. So market is important, but there's then there's submarkets, right? In any given market, and I like to use Dallas because it's so very clear. Dallas has about 37 submarkets. 20% of them are very good, 20% are very bad, and then there's everything else. So you have to know not only your market, but your submarket. And then on the property level, there's two different parts. One is competitive properties, right? Those that your asset is competing against. And there's also comparative. And those are two different factors in terms of analyzing the multifamily property. So you can see we're starting with a conversation about rent roll analysis, right? But it always leads to how are we looking at the asset? in its market, what's the asset competing against, what are the amenities as compared to competitive properties. And then when you're looking at what we call the fascia of an asset, the street front, the street front tells you a lot, but yet it doesn't, right? It's kind of like when you go into a movie theater, some of them are in really good order and everything's picture perfect. And others, you kind of get that eerie feeling like, oh, wow, what did I just buy a ticket to? Where am I? because the floor is sticky and the bathrooms are dirty. So just because the glitz and glamour and neon on the outside is presentable, you really have to dive in past that, right? So we're doing the same thing with rent roll analysis. Yes, we have a piece of paper, 
that says this is what the rents are. But, you know, every potential buyer has to do a little forensic accounting, right? You have to go deeper than just believing what's in front of you. And so how do you go deeper? What are some things that you're looking for? You know, somebody presents you a really nice looking rent roll, you're excited and you're saying, no, I'm not going to, I'm going to question this. I maybe trust, but verify. So how do you go through and start verifying some of that information? What, what are you looking for? The next step to rent roll analysis after reviewing the rent roll is really diving into the leases. So you have to be able to perform a lease review. And if you're not allowed to perform a lease review for whatever reason, that just never happens then I submit that you should never buy that property because you really don't know what's underneath the hood uh, because the leases are what tells you, you know, what's valid and correct, what's in place, what's in force, what's contractually obligated. And uh, just like a pizza store, if they tell you they're selling a thousand pizzas, but then you talk to the vendors and they're not buying any cheese, you know, it's kind of a sign, right? So you have a picture-perfect rent roll, and, I mean, it's just pristine. It's even presented on, you know, cardstock, so it looks very official. But if you can't see the leases, how do you know that the information presented has any validity to it? What are some things that you're looking at when you look at the leases? And, and actually, before you even answer that, what if I'm buying a 100-unit apartment complex? Do I need to review all 100 leases, or yes. can I look at a sample? Because well, if you're looking at a 100-unit deal... It's several million dollars, right, and up. So if you're in California, that could be a $30 million deal. So there's no way you're going to acquire that asset or make that type of a financial commitment without doing a 100% lease file review. So, uh, you know, if it's a fourplex and there's two leases and the other two are, you know, they've been there for 15 years and we can't find the lease, okay, you know, we can put a lease in place when we close, right, or remove those tenants and, and, and put someone else in with a valid lease. You can't do that with a $30 million business. You have to know what you're buying on the way in, which is why rent roll analysis is so important. And the baseline of rent roll analysis is a review of the leases. So diving into lease review, it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier with respect to rent roll analysis. You want to look in, at each and every document that's in each and every lease, but you'll have a checklist. The first one will be, is it a valid in-place lease? Is it in force? And what I mean by that is, has it expired yet? Because if you look at 100 leases, there's probably 10, 20, or 30 in there that are no longer in force. They're in now month to month. So they went beyond the first year. And then they auto, they just auto turn into a month to month lease. And that's fine. As much as it can go to month to month after the first year, the preference really is to do an annual renew so that you have another in force lease with that resident. And, uh, some property managements just kind of let it roll and, and they just go month to month afterwards. But if you're really on your game, you're going to renew for an annual term or an extended term, whether it's three months, six months, nine months uh, after the initial term of the lease. So that again, you have an enforced lease. So you're looking at the lease document. You want to see what the term of the lease is, meaning how long have they had residency. And you'll notice that for probably 10 to 20% of the property, People have been there for more than two years. Then you'll also see probably 30% of the leases where people have been there, actually more than 30%, where people have been there less than a year. So in the multifamily business, turnover nationally is 50%. But that doesn't tell you anything, right? 50% turnover nationally, yeah, so what? You really aren't buying a national property, right? You're buying a property. So you need to know what the turnover is at that property. And the lower the turnover, 
the better run that asset is, likely, or it's in a high demand market. And if it's in a high demand market, there's greater potential for rent growth, right? You can likely raise rents if you've got high demand. But setting that aside, let's say that rent is only increasing 3% a year, the generic 3% a year, but turnover is low, then that means you're going to have lower expenses overall, right? Because you're going to have lower turnover costs. So in essence, and this is very important, in essence, that property likely has a higher value than one that has 40, 50, or 60% turnover. Because you automatically know if nothing changes, you're going to be turning over 50% of your units every year. So if you come across a property that has only 20% annual turnover, that's a gem uh, that might need a little polishing, but uh, it's a likely a higher quality asset from a financial, from a cash flow perspective, because of the less dollars required for turnover. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. So, so basically what you're saying is that when you're buying a multifamily property, you're really buying a business and the value of that business is based on the contractual uh, leases that are in place in a sense. And the longer leases have been in place, the less turnover there is, the better the strength of that cash flow is. The strength in- of income is higher and the, the viability of the asset is higher. So I'm not talking about a, a deal, and let's go back to that 100-unit deal, right, where everything is in order, but the new owner isn't planning on coming in and doing a total rehab and relocating people and, you know, spending ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 per unit to upgrade everything. That's a different deal, right? What we're talking about today is really stabilized multifamily deals that are transferring from one owner to the other. And this is the baseline, the rent roll analysis we're talking about today is the baseline for making that transaction move forward, meaning the buyer is comfortable with the information presented from the seller, and they are proceeding down the track of making this transaction occur. So money is about to change hands. And before that money changes hands, the due diligence performed by the buyer should include uh, rent roll analysis beyond just the atypical because they're spending real money, right? And when you're spending real money, you should be able to gain the information you're requesting from the seller without much trouble. But if there's trouble all along the way, if everything is a hassle, then that also kind of tells you something, right? It tells you that if nothing else, they don't quite have their ducks in order. Now, mind you, with smaller multifamily, and when I say smaller, I'm talking about properties under 100 units, a lot of those are self-managed. So um, the guy or the family has owned the deal for 10, 20, 30 years. They have their way of doing things. And, you know, you've heard this before, right? Well, we've always done it this way. So... In those instances, it doesn't behoove you as the buyer to penalize the seller because they don't quite have their act together. This is their business. This is their baby. This is the way they run things. So if you're going to bring in professional property management and high-level due diligence, you know it doesn't do you a bloody bit of good to run over them, right, and, and to act like you're from Los Angeles or New York. <laughs> and you know what that means, right, where, where we're just kind of you know, different than the rest of the country sometimes. Um, you have to acquiesce and kind of fold into what it is they have and still make a determination about the validity of the information. Still make sure that it's valid and correct and, and makes sense to you. But that's a, I hesitate to call it a consideration, but it's a required method for doing business in most of the country. If you leave Boston, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Seattle, then we have the rest of the country, Right. And if you're not talking about institutional assets, which for most of 
the folks listening to this, they're not buying 250 unit deals uh, in Nashville, right? They're, they're buying in their backyard. They're buying within 25 miles of where they live. So if you're buying within 25 miles of where you live, you know those people because that's where you live. You know how they are. So you can bring rent roll analysis and apply it to that property, but you have to apply it like you would in any other circumstance, taking into consideration how people do business in that town or in that county or in that state. And I can attest that there are a lot of uh, smaller landlords out there that have maybe like mid-sized assets, you know, 10 to 20 units, something like that, that uh, definitely needs some accounting help. So if you go, if you go and and kind of like what you're saying, like if you're coming from out of state and and I get, I know some of these people too, because they're friends and family, but if you're coming from out of state and you're like, Hey, your, your records are not as good as they should be. You're just automatically throwing yourself off out of the negotiations, right? That person's immediately going to be hostile and not going to want to do any sort of business with you. Right. Here comes that carpetbagger from out of state and they don't know us. They don't know how we do business. And you know what? I've gotten a file before that, you know, had some coffee stains on it. Right. <laughs> and and uh, the, the latest bank statement is three months old and I only have one, but you know, you, you deal with what you get. And then you still make a determination in terms of the validity of the transaction. And really, let's say that you, you walk into a, a, that 14-unit deal in Athens, Ohio. You know, it's a nice small town outside of Columbus, right? And there's no leases. <laughs> and the property is run down. And the price is a little high. And the guy that owns it, if he's anything like my dad, he'll talk to you, but he's not going to give you any paper. <laughs> right? I mean, there just isn't anything there. Everybody that's lived there... You know, other than two have been there for five years or longer and they pay their rent in cash and everybody just goes about their business, right? So if you want that 14-unit deal in Athens, you still have to make a determination based on what you see. You probably have to create your own rent roll. And on the front side, you would likely be asking the existing tenants to sign an estoppel, right? That says that we are in fact living here and we do pay rent of this amount and we are willing to sign a lease for that at closing. So that's one of those workarounds, right? That, that gets you to where you want to go. If you're buying that deal, uh, even though you won't have all of the you know, accoutrements that we're talking about here today. Makes sense. So, you know, we've talked about a little bit of some of the non-qualitative factors of looking at the rent roll. What are some metrics that the listeners can use to determine, you know, the strength of that rent roll when they're taking a look at it? Sure. Let me, let me give you three specifics if people want to write these down while they're listening. So key metrics to pay attention to when you're doing rent roll analysis is, of course, the lease review, right? We want to see all the leases. We want to know if they're true and correct, if they're valid, if they're signed, if they are in force, meaning the lease hasn't expired yet. And if the lease has expired, is there a renewal document in there that says, yes, this lease will go forward automatically on a month to month and or yes, this lease is valid for another year past the first term. And people that have been there for four, five, or six years, you'll sometimes find that they've signed three of those and not four, five, or six. So at least you know that that's a consistent path for that particular lease. And that person is likely to sign a lease renewal after closing. So number one is the lease file review. Review all of the leases. Secondly is to see that the income on the rent roll ties out to bank statements or bank deposits. And you're not always going to get bank statements or deposits, but it never hurts to ask. And even if you only get one or two months, you can correlate those with the rents that you're seeing on the rent roll. And if they're in the neighborhood, 
or, you know, 10% higher, 10% lower, that's fine. Of course, you know, the small variance in this case, there's no reason to really ask further questions, but if there's 20 and 30% differentials, if deposits are even higher than what's on the rent roll, that's kind of a question mark, right? Well, where's this other money coming from? Is it coming from other income? Is it commingled with another property? Does it even belong to this asset? Is that income going to come with me once I close? Or is it not going to come with me? So uh, income within a certain range, fine. If it's outside of that range for you, then that's a reason to ask further questions. And third is turnover. So as we talked about a, a lot already, average term of lease, and when we talk about rent roll triangle, that's a key factor, right? Average term of the existing lease is a big deal. You're having a lot more turnover if the average term of residency or tenancy is nine months versus 19 months, right? That's a big deal. So recognizing how long the existing resident base has been in place and what percentage of the resident base has been in place for an extended period of time tells you a lot about a property. Now, that said, the caveat there is if rents are $300 under market, of course everybody's going to stay put, right? They don't want to move because they're paying 300 bucks less than they would pay somewhere else. So then you have to go the next step, right? You have to get off the piece of paper. You got to put your shoes on. You have to walk into the units and say, okay, is this unit presentable in a method in which I would like to continue ownership after closing? And if everything's in good order and the appliances you know, are in good order and the carpet is not that avocado green, you may say, you know what? This is good. We're, we're going to just keep running this deal as it is. But if you walk into every unit and every unit needs $10,000, well, then you know why rents are $300 less than they would be otherwise, right? So the question is, as a potential buyer, all right, I know my purchase price, but my purchase price doesn't equal the amount of money I'll have to put into this deal once it's owned. And that leads directly back to rent roll analysis, right? All of this started because we started looking at the leases and we took that to the next level, which is doing the on-site analysis, doing the property review. Makes sense. Makes sense. So when you go through these three items, does I would imagine that the, when you're looking at the leases and, and determining how long they've been in place, uh, does credit quality of, of the tenants that are behind those leases, does that come into play at all? It's a factor, but you know, if you see a quality payment schedule, then I, I, the reason I'm hesitating is because, uh, again, we've got this why in the road, right? If it's 14-unit deal in Athens, Ohio's, you'll look at that deal different than you will you know, 120 unit deal in New Jersey. So, and then your bankers, um, they will have some say-so in that, you know, because they're going to be looking at the leases too, right? So, in in the larger transactions, it's more of a factor. In the smaller transactions, you're really looking more to pay record than you are uh, the, the FICO score of the resident that's living in that unit. You know, are they employed? That's a really good deal. That's a really good sign. Uh, Are they paying their rent on time? That's a really good sign. So those things kind of lead you in the, in the right path on the smaller deals, but you'll have to go that next layer, of course, as the as the dollar amounts get larger and larger. Got it. Got it. Let me nice. let me say just one more thing on that, just to, to clarify with respect to credit quality, because I don't want to leave people hanging on that. It's like markets. You know, credit quality of individual residents or tenants is just one factor in establishing a payment record. You know, but the payment record itself or the payment history is really the key metric. Got it. Got it. Uh, that makes sense. That's really what you're looking for at the end of yeah. the day. You know, the, cre- 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's what, you know, it's funny just to make a comparison. One of my investor pals, he's, he's big into uh, lending and uh, he, one of his key things he looks at whenever he makes a loan with somebody is, do they have a perfect payment history? Uh, he doesn't really necessarily care about their credit score. He looks at their payment history. And he says, if, if they have a perfect payment history, then chances are they're going to make it a point to continue paying that payment, uh, thus making that a strong loan. And I guess in this case, if you're looking at rents, you know, if they have a great payment history, then, then they're probably going to continue that history as well. Yeah. How, how do you verify that? Do you have to like pull a credit report to see payment history or how, how do you, how do you like verify payment history? The seller should have a record of payment history, right? So that's if we're looking at individual rent rolls over the last six months and we have one for each month, you can see if a payment's been made. And then if you can correlate that to deposits, then you've got an auto an, an automatic way of, of recognizing that payment was made, payment was deposited and it was specific to this resident. What if the resident's only been there for like a couple months, though? Uh, do you feel comfortable verifying that they've paid for like three months, or do you want to see their payment history longer than that? It's probably not material because if it's a hundred unit deal and you've got fifty percent turnover in place right now, then that means only fifty units are only. It's a large number that fifty units are turning over every year, which means only four every month, right? So you have maybe four six or eight that are new residents, brand new, that haven't been there for 90 days, but everyone else has been there for more than 90 days. So it's material taken into consideration, but it's not the de facto. What about on the 14-unit deal that you're working on right now, though? You had like, let's say, two tenants that have only been there for two months. How do you approach that? It's the same thing. They, they barely represent more than 10% of the aggregate income stream. So that's the risk you take. Got it. Okay. So you just, you, you say, well, I verified that you've paid, I've got your security deposit and I'm willing to accept this risk that I can't verify a longer payment history. And on the fifth day of the following month after ownership, if you know, those that haven't paid get the five day notice and then five days later, 10 days later, depending on your state, there is a notice to evict put on their door and you keep on moving. Yeah. And that's why you walk into every unit also, right? Just to make sure that there is actual people living there. <laughs> and and that and if you're uh, you may also find out that you know three of the fourteen people there are related to the owner, uh, which doesn't mean they're moving right, but it's good to know. So you may see that there's three move outs immediately after ownership, but at least you will be prepared for such going in the door versus finding out after the fact. So we discussed a lot today. What are some non-quantitative factors to consider uh, when analyzing the rental? Well, let me let me give you two. One is, you know, frankly, how orderly is the information presented? I mean, if it's picture perfect, that doesn't mean it's suspect, uh, nor if it's, you know, a total mess in a shoebox doesn't mean it's suspect, right? But somebody has to go through there and look at every document and put them in order if they're not in order. And if they are order, you really need a checklist format of some sort to perform your rent roll analysis, which is what the book How to Read a Rent Roll really does present for you is in essence a checklist on how to perform rent roll analysis. But the non-qualitative factors would be, you know, what how orderly is the information you're getting? Is it looking trustworthy? Does it feel right? And can it be validated? And that's what rent roll analysis is all about. Can it be validated? So it's a lot easier when you get uh, quality documents that you can just kind of run into and start doing your analysis versus having to put them in order before you ever start. And then secondly, this is non-quantitative. It really is. And this one is, 
how confident is the current property management? And would you keep them in place after you close on the deal? So that tells you a lot about how the property is being run, right? And it's not just a conversation with the manager. Part of that conversation goes beyond just talking. It's looking at and analyzing the information provided by that management company, right? And is it in good order? And do you see that their processes make sense? Do you see that their business is operating smoothly at that site? And then if it's a professional property management firm, you can also look at other properties that they're managing, right? You, can, you don't have to look at just this one. So how competent is property management? If it's self-managed, you know it's going to be a lot different than if it were professionally managed. So you have to take that into consideration and often take that as a grain of salt, recognizing a lot of things are going to change once you become the owner. Because you, unlikely, I would highly recommend that as an owner, you do not do your own property management unless this is your full-time profession. And the reason for that is anything, any, and just like in a, a CPA, yeah, you can do your own taxes, but the CPA is likely going to have a higher quality output than you as an individual, right? And property management is a profession, and those folks really are professionals, and they know their stuff. And they're going to make you money if you let them do what they do, uh, the same as your CPA. They may not make you money, but they're going to save you money. Then at the very least, their objective is to keep you out of trouble, keep you out of harm's way, right? To get through the process of performing this thing, this ritual thing we do in this country called the tax season. So property managers are going to pull you through summer, winter, fall and do the work. They're going to answer those 2 a.m. phone calls. So when somebody buys an asset, just because you're an owner, don't assume you have to be a property manager. Leave that to the professionals. Now, if at some point you want to be the, the property manager, great. But if you're new to this business and you've not done property management before, still hire the professional property management company and watch them and let them do what they do for a year. And once you see that, you're going to say, you know what? That 8% is really worth it because I'm going on vacation and I'm leaving for three weeks and they got this. I will add another factor of why you shouldn't do your own property management. Um, and really why you should look at a lot of things in your business and figure out what you can out outsource to your point, John. One of the things that I always kind of come back to is just the emotional involvement with business, right? I think that it's a lot harder to objectively drive results if you are emotionally attached to it. And I experienced that firsthand with my one of my three units. I had back up in Baltimore many years ago. I lived in one of the units, rented out the other two. And the, the woman on the second floor just, just took me every single month <laughs> for all I was worth. She'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, the rent's coming, the rent's coming, the rent's coming. I'd be like, okay, a couple more days, a couple more days, a couple more days. And then, you know, she'd pay on the very last day of the month for the entire month. And she just did that multiple, multiple times. You know, a good property manager, like you said, no, you get the five-day notice to quit. And, uh, and that's it. Game over. But for me, being new to it, I was just like, okay, well, maybe it's just kind of normal. Like, as long as she keeps paying, I'm good. So there's that emotional attachment. I couldn't objectively go in there and be like, no, you're paying. And this is how we're running this ship. Because I, I one, didn't have experience, but two, just emotionally attached to it. <laughs> yeah. And even though you were living in one of the three units, it wouldn't have done you any harm to have those other two units professionally managed, right? And nobody there would even have to know that you're the owner. Exactly. I don't know. So, you got to ask the manager, not me. I, yeah. don't <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just live here and, you know, those guys, boy, they're a little crazy, but I like them. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're you don't great. They are great. Yeah. <laughs> they're nuts, but they're great. <laughs> right, right. Pay them on time, but yeah, that's just pay them on time and they leave you alone. I, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Love it. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, you know, and just to, just before we move on, just to drive one more point here is it, it is important to look at, like Brandon had said, like John had mentioned, uh, to look at your business and see what professionals you could employ to get certain aspects of that business done. Because at the end of the day, uh, your time is valuable and you want to be focusing your time on the highest, best use of it, which if you're going to be in the multifamily business, going to be probably finding deals, raising capital that type of thing. You don't want to be tied down to property management, especially we can have a professional do it. And the same thing with other professional services like legal advice and, and tax and, and accounting advice. You don't want to be doing that yourself. Uh, let the professionals do it. There's a lot of nuances there that you could miss. So just, just look at your business and what can you delegate? Um, and those are some items, property management, accounting, taxes, legal, or just some things that are easy to get off your plate. But kind of looking at today's conversation, how to analyze a rent roll, it does all have a point to it. Uh, it is to look at the rent roll triangle calculation uh, that John had written about in his second book, uh, The Rent Roll Triangle. And I'm just wondering, John, before we would wrap up for today, if you would be able to just give us an overview of those three metrics that go into that uh, calculation and how analyzing the rent roll can help you get there. So today we've really talked about rent roll analysis, the basics, and uh, those basics get you a long way towards understanding the business that you're looking to buy, which is a multifamily business. So once that business is purchased, then you have not an ethereal, maybe I'm going to have this income stream. You bought the business. Now you have this income stream. And then the next question is, okay, now what, right? Now what do we do to drive revenue? What do we do to run this business? And we've talked about that a little bit. My recommendation, of course, is to, to hire professional property management so that you have those helping hands, you have those professionals. They know about fair housing. They know how to collect rents. They know how to get uh, maintenance accomplished on a schedule, things that you don't necessarily have time for if you're not a full-time in, in multifamily business. So once that asset is purchased and you're looking at ways or methods for analyzing the income, what a lot of people do is they look around and they, they raise their head up out of the sand and say, okay, what are my neighbors charging for rent? And that rental survey gives you a starting point, right? You have an idea of what other people are paying for the same type of space, meaning habitual space, that space that is inhabited by us humans. We call it multifamily often. But knowing just that doesn't get you where you need to go. So yes, you've done a rent survey, you know what your neighbors are charging, but you also need to know what they're charging on a per square foot basis and what the amenities are. So knowing that provides you with further information about how competitive your asset is as compared to other similar multifamily properties in the same neighborhood or what we call submarket. So then here comes Rent Roll Triangle, and this does the following. It looks at the differentials between the stated lease income, what's in your leases, the actual collections, what's the money that's coming in the door, and that gross potential number, what everybody else says that they're charging. So for instance, it's very common for someone to have an $1,800 a month ad on Craigslist, right? Or one of the major apartments, uh, websites that are assisting owners in renting apartments. So it says $1,800 a month for a one-bedroom and you show up and they say, well, if you buy today, if you sign a lease today, your rent is only $1,700, right? Well, the stated, the gross potential 
what everybody knows out in the marketplace is that that unit rents for 1800 a month. But the actual owner or the property management company is leasing them for 1700 a month. So that's the real market rent, right? It's not 1800 1800 is just this gross potential number that's out there in the ether that nobody is buying and nobody is really selling at the end of the day because they're renting for 1700 So their unit's rented for 1700 And then that particular resident that moves in doesn't pay their rent, right? Or they don't pay it until the 31st of the month, <laughs> which is the same as not paying their rent. So collections is different than what's on the lease, yes? And when you look at that same calculation throughout the entire property, then you'll note that your collections will never match what's in the leases. It just never matches. There's always a differential. The kicker is sometimes that differential is 2% and sometimes it's 20%. And that's the baseline for where you start looking at rent roll triangle to ascertain the differentials between stated lease income, what's in the leases, actual collections, the money that comes into your bank versus what the outside world is saying that market rent is or that gross potential rent is for that. And when you analyze the differentials between those three, it gives you a very highly developed objective on which part of your business to focus on in terms of increasing rent or increasing revenue with that asset. Because if you just look at the numbers without the, the calculation, you don't really know where to start. And Railroad Triangle not only tells you your gross potential versus stated lease income versus collections. It gives you some guidance on what to do once you know that number. Got it. Got it. And that, that's an excellent calculation. And um, thanks for covering that and just going over that the overview today. Um, what is the best way for our listeners to learn a little bit more about you and, and your book, The Rent Roll Triangle, as well as How to Read a Rent Roll? Those books are on Amazon, so they're very easy to find. Uh, I do have a website, johnwilhoyt.com. And I do have a mini podcast, Nothing as Spectacular as what you guys are doing here. And I, nor have I been able to really keep up with it. But there's a number of evergreen podcasts there that relate to multifamily ownership and acquisitions. Uh, so um, people can go there for a little bit more information on how to acquire assets, including single family, actually. And um, there's, I think one of the most popular podcasts I've done is Why Not to Flip Homes. And I say that because a lot of people think that's a great business to be in, right? But you can be in that business, but uh, the podcast I did kind of provides people with the real-life caveats to being in that business. So um, johnwellhoyt.com is, is where to find me. For what I'm doing now, most of my time is devoted to a, a West Coast large nonprofit that does affordable housing. And they're at 2,000 units now with almost another 1,000 units in development. And that's where I'm really focusing the majority of my time these days. Nice. Nice. So thanks again for coming on. We'll go ahead and drop those links in the show notes below for everybody who is listening, who does want to check out those books, who just want to check out John's website, as well as that podcast on uh, why you shouldn't flip houses. Uh, and uh, we'll be back next week to focus on the rent roll triangle. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes with your accounting and CFO needs. 
to become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.